0: All right, First Kings 17, let's open with a word of prayer. We'll dig into the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. We ask, Lord, that tonight it would just cut to, cut to our hearts. And Lord, as we look at the faith of Elijah in tonight's text, I pray that we too would grow in faith, that we would learn from the example we see in the text tonight. We love you and we praise you, Lord. Be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, so I'm going to catch you up because I wasn't here the last couple of Thursdays. As I said, I was up in Santa Cruz. But, and we'll, we'll take a moment on the first verse anyway to go to backtrack a little bit. But as we know, the, the kings, the nation of Israel has been divided in half because of Solomon's unfaithfulness and the two southern kingdoms. The two southern tribes, excuse me, is called Judah. And the northern kingdom is called Israel and had 10 tribes in Israel. And we know in kings, not a single one of the kings that rules in the north is godly. They're all evil. Every single one of them. And they just keep getting worse up to the guy we're going to see in tonight's text, who we touched on a couple weeks ago. The southern kingdom, we saw that the king they just had was a king by the name of Asa. He was a godly man. He tore down all the idols. And so as we look at tonight's chapter, we're going to move back to looking at the northern kingdom, and we're going to be looking at a man by the name of King Ahab. We'll be going backwards a few verses to catch you guys up. So go ahead, and if you have your outline, grab it, and go through it real quick. Tell the message, growing in faith, growing in faith. And first of all, we're going to see five different points in tonight's text that kind of apply to our lives, and it's very applicable to the world we live in today first thing I said is growing in faith while living in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation. How many of you guys feel like we live in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation right about now? needs Jesus so desperately. Amen. And we're called to be salt and light. And we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. We're called to be an example to them, to reach out to them and love. But you know what? They're coming into our houses, through our, you know, our, our devices, uh, the world around us, the things that our kids are being taught, things that are being taught in universities, the things being, being foisted on us, Lord, by the, by the world. And all of them are attacks on the word of God. We need to make a stand for the word of God, even when nobody else will. And we see, we're going to see an evil and idolatrous king that did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings in Israel who were before him. We'll see that in tonight's text. And we're going to see a man making a stand even in the midst of that. Number two, by being willing to take a stand and speak for the truth with boldness, even when nobody else will. You know, sometimes we're looking for someone else to stand up. Well, maybe God wants you to. Can I get an amen? Why aren't we doing this? Why isn't this happening? Well, maybe it's because you're called to do it. And you know, too often, we just think that you know somebody else will take care of it. But if God's put it on your heart, I want to encourage you to step out in faith. Number three, by obeying God's word, even in the midst of great trials and persecution. We're going to see in tonight's text, we make the mistake of thinking sometimes, if I'm walking with God and I'm being obedient, then my life's going to be smooth sailing. And that's just not a biblical truth. Amen. Too often what happens is the people that are most on fire for God and often being used so more mightily by God, their families are under attack. Why is that? Because Satan's resources are limited and he's not going to go after those who are on the sideline being milquetoast in their walk with the Lord. And you know what? Satan's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. There's a limited amount of, of of the demonic, but it's a real thing that we fight. It's a spiritual battle that we fight. And I used to say, I hope hope I'm on fire enough that I'm on, I hope Satan knows my name. I really do. I don't think he knows everybody's name. He's not omnipresent, but I hope that I love God enough that he knows my name. And I've had people say, well, I hope that he almost knows my name. Amen. But not quite. But the reality is we need to obey God's word, even in the midst of persecution. Here's what happens. When you go through trials, there's a temptation to run from God. When you're going through difficulty, when the kids are going sideways, when you've lost a job, when there's been a health problem or whatever's going on in the world around you, there's a temptation to run from God or to, to hide or to hunker down. And we just don't see that in scripture. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Amen. And God's called us to step up even in midst of difficulty and obey his word. Number four, by trusting in God's promises and going wherever he leads. We're going to see that point three, there's a time of pruning. We'll see that. And then there's a time of being refined. Every trial we go through, no suffering is wasted. Every trial we go through in life, God is using it to mold us more into the image of our savior. And, And you're going to see that everybody used mightily in scripture has suffered greatly. There's no example of anybody used mightily that didn't go through a time of suffering. So remember that. Maybe some of you are going through some trials right now. Just know that God, this is not a waste of time. God is doing something in you and he wants to do something through you in the midst of all of this. And he wants you to come outside of it more on fire for him, more in love with him, with greater faith in him. Can I get an amen to that? And then finally, by putting your faith in action, it's one thing to say we believe, But faith without works is dead, the Bible says. And when we truly believe, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's not believing and then seeing, not seeing and then believing, it's believing and then seeing. It's stepping out in faith. So those are the things we'll look at tonight. Let's begin there, looking at growing in faith while living in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation. Look at there, 1 Kings 17, verse one. And Elijah the Tishbite, of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab. Now, Ahab is who we saw in chapter 16 when I was here three weeks ago. And Ahab became the king of Israel, the northern tribes, and not a single king who had ruled in the north was as ungodly and as evil as this man. Let's go back and read, beginning there, at verse 29. We're going to read verses 29 to 33 just to give us context. Look what it says. In the 38th year of Asa, he was the king in Judah. Ahab the son of Omri became king over Israel and Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. So they had made Samaria the capital if you will of the northern kingdom and he was reigning from there. Now Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Now that's saying something because Jeroboam set up idols to false gods. We saw that he set up idols throughout the land too. And it's so tragic that here's a guy who didn't want people to go down to Jerusalem. So he made worship easy by setting up golden calves in Ben, I mean, in Dan, and also uh, in Shechem. And he set them there so that people would not go down to Jerusalem to worship. And that's what happens still in the world today. Let's make worship convenient. Let's not make it something that we have to invest in and let's keep people from leaving. And that's what he did. And then Ahab's worse than him. So how bad can he be? We'll find out. And came to pass, verse 31, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, idolatry, the sons of Nabat. And he took as his wife, Jezebel. <laughs> you know what? Next to, next to giving your life to Jesus Christ, the next most important decision you will make is who you marry. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. And if you marry bad, you're going to have a tough life. You're going to have some difficulty. God can bring restoration. If you've married an unbeliever, well, let's pray. You pray and stay. Can I get an amen to that? You're married now. You pray and you stay. But that being said, Jezebel, even if you've never read the Bible before, when you hear Jezebel, you know that's bad news. Amen. I said last time, she wrecked her name. She was so evil that nobody ever wants to be named that ever again. And when you use her name, you know it's in a bad context. She's a Jezebel. That means she's evil. It means she's wicked. It means she's perverse. And that was her name. I mean, she's right up there with Hitler and wrecking names. Amen? Judas. you met any Judases lately? No. And you're not going to meet any Jezebels. Well, Ahab was already a man who was off course. And then he married an ungodly woman. Now, look what it says about her. It says there, the daughter of Ethbaal... King of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshiped him. She was from, she was a Sidonian, and the god of Sidonians was Baal. This is very important for tonight's text. Baal was the god of fertility and also the god of rain and thunder. And so the god, he was a man with a, a bull's head and horns, and he would hold up his in his hands, he would have lightning rods or lightning bolts, either with both hands or in one hand held up, and they would carve images of him and worship him. And part of Baal worship was the sacrifice of children. If something was heavy duty, they would burn children alive and sacrifice them to Baal. And they also believed worshiping Baal would make sure that it rained and that their crops would grow. And so they were worshiping this false idol and they brought that false idol into the land of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The children of Israel were in the land of promise. God had given it to them and they are turning their backs on the true and living God and beginning to worship Baal. Now, this is tragic anywhere, but it's really tragic when it's God's people worshiping Baal. Can I get an amen to that? Because remember, these are the same people that were delivered out of bondage in Egypt, their ancestors. These are the same people whose ancestors part, you know, God parted the Red Sea to bring them out. It was their ancestors that the Ten Commandments were given to through Moses. It was their ancestors who were fearful and didn't enter into the land of promise the first time around and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And God led them by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And then there were the ones that after 40 years of, of wandering in the wilderness, entered into the land of promise and God gave them victory over the giants in the land and they possessed the land and God's hand was upon them and the temple was built and God was being glorified. And now they're worshiping Baal. And sadly, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what's going on in our country today. Can I get an amen? Our country was founded, I don't care what anybody tells you, the reason God blessed America, because America blessed God. Can I get an amen? Because we love the Lord, we honored him. Of the 100 most, in the last 150 years, the 100 most uh, uh, inventions, 97 of them were made in the United States. That's not by chance. It's not because we're smarter than everyone else. It's because God was blessing our country because our country honored him. And now as our country ceases to honor him, we're dealing with some of the consequences of that. So they brought Baal worship. And it says, they set up an altar, verse 32, to Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. So in the capital of Israel, the northern part of Israel, no, the northern 10 nations, they built in the capital an altar to Baal and a temple to Baal. And it says, and Ahab made a wooden image And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. By the way, if you provoke God to anger, that's not good. Can I get an amen? And so here's who we're dealing with. Here's Ahab. And in the midst of that, going back to verse one, and Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, so if everybody around you is doing evil, if nobody stands up and speaks truth, then you know any dead fish can go with the flow. Can I get an amen? If you if you want evil to happen just do nothing. Sit back and do nothing. And you and you will fade in your walk with the Lord. We talked about on Sunday. You will drift away. You will not be as close to the Lord if you sit back and do nothing. We need to, we need to be proactive in our relationship with the Lord. Amen. I've been married 36 years. I love my beautiful wife more today than ever. But we have to be proactive in our marriage. I can't just ignore my wife for weeks and months on end. That doesn't work. Amen. And we can't do that with the Lord. You can't just set your Bible aside and dust it off once a month when you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So in the midst of all this evil, the Bible tells us in Second Chronicles that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. God's not looking for a better message or a better method. He's just looking for men and women to step up and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Amen. Well, Elijah's going to be that guy. Because Elijah, I wish, you know, I almost brought it. If we had a screen, I might have. My kids, I love them. We have these videos when they were growing up that we used to watch all the time. And the one about Elijah, man, I just love this scene in that. It's a cartoon, but man, it's awesome. Because he goes in and just kicks all the idols down and comes up and just calls Ahab out. Now, Ahab's a guy who's evil. Ahab's a guy who's quick to put people to death. And Elijah's not afraid because if God is for us, who can be against us? And you can't threaten us with heaven. Can I give an amen to that? Now watch what Elijah does. He's going to march in and talk to Ahab. And there's Queen Jezebel and they're worshiping Baal. And they've erected a temple to this false God, the God of fertility, part of, hate to be blunt, part of their, uh, they use phallic symbols and stuff. When there was temple prostitution, it was a mess. And so all that's going on in, in God's land, with God's people and the king that, that is in place. And Elijah walks in and look what he says. As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years except at my word. Now, I love this because really what he's doing from the jump is he is poking the eye of Baal. Because Baal is the God of rain. Baal is the God of thunder. Baal is a God of fertility. It's mainly speaking of grow, you know, growing families and sexual fertility, that kind of fertility, but also you know, fruitful land. So he goes in and basically says, okay, your God's a God of thunder. I'm telling you right now, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to. Not only will it not rain, there's not going to be any dew or anything. We're going to find out, paraphrase, we're going to find out whose God is God. Amen? We're going to find out when it stops raining, you're going to recognize Baal's a dead block of wood and he can't do anything. Now we know coming up here, we're going to be back at Mount Carmel. And up on Mount Carmel, the prophets of Baal and, and Elijah are going to basically put this to a test. But this is the precursor to it. And he walks in and lets him know that there will be no rain. So number one, we saw growing in faith while living in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation. We saw it because we, we were introduced to Ahab. We see what a wicked and vile man that he is. But now we see that in the midst of that, steps up, praise God, a man like Elijah. Now, I love that he says there, before whom I stand, from whose presence I come. You know, he says, as the Lord, of God, the Lord God of Israel lives, you know, somebody needed to stand up and point everybody back to the true and living God. Amen. Somebody to stand up when all the idols were all around, all the idolatry was taking place and say, those gods are false gods. This is the true and living God. And he says, as the Lord God of Israel lives, not this dead block of wood you worship, not this, this, uh, this idol made with hands, the true and living God. And guys, you know what? We need more of that today in our country. Can I get an amen to that? And we're so afraid of how people will respond. We're afraid we might hurt someone's feelings. I pray you get convicted every time you come to church because I get convicted every week while I'm studying to teach what I teach at church. Can I get amen to that? Without conviction, there's been no conversion and we should be convicted. And I'm tired of all that everybody worried about somebody whining or getting their feelings hurt. You know what? If you're not standing for God, your feelings need to get hurt and you need to repent. Can I get an amen to that? It's time for us to quit worrying about people being woke. We need to wake up to Jesus is what needs to happen. Amen. And so here's what happens is he just stands up in the midst of all this idolatry. And he says, let me repeat that one more time. As the Lord God of Israel lives, guys, we, all, we serve the only true and living God. Every other God of this world is dead. Amen. Buddha's dead, Hare Krishna's dead, Muhammad's dead. All the false gods are dead. We can dig up their bones. We serve a risen and living savior who has triumphed over sin and death. And we need not be ashamed of that. And that's why I don't even like to use the term God when I talk to people. I like to say Jesus, amen? Because God can be a God that they've created. Baal was called a God and we know that he's not God. But notice he says, the God of Israel lives. He's alive. He's living and breathing. But then he goes on to say, before whom I stand. And I love that. What it actually means when you break it down in the original language, from whose presence I come. It means that he's been hanging out with the Lord. Elijah's spending time in prayer. He's seeking God. He hears God's voice and then he's being obedient to it to march right into King Ahab and deliver what God had told him. Guys, here's the reality. We don't need to win arguments talking about Uh, our opinions. What we need to do is win people to the Lord by sharing the truth of God's word and doing it in love. Can I get an amen? We need to deliver the word of God. And that's what, you know, here's Elijah. He knows he could die. He marches in because God told him to go. Guys, we go, we obey God and the results are up to him. Can I get an amen to that? We be faithful to what God calls us to do. We step out and watch God do a great and an awesome work. Before whom I stand, from whose presence I come, it can also mean from whom alone I will be judged. Ahab Ahab couldn't judge Elijah. He might be able to judge him physically and put him to death, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And as Christians, we don't die. We just move to a better neighborhood. Amen? So you can't threaten us with heaven. And I love his heart. He says, there will be no dew or rain. Now, keep in mind what that means, Israel had a desperate need for water because it is in the Middle East. And if you've been there, Israel's beautiful and it's fruitful, but it's also because it rains. And they knew if the rain stopped, they would starve. It wouldn't just be a lack of water. It'd be a lack of food. Nothing would grow. The nation would be in trouble. And so when he comes in and makes this proclamation that this is what's going to happen. And by the way, you have to be a man of faith that when God tells you to say something, to say it, amen. And he says it, He doesn't back down from it. He doesn't apologize for it. He proclaims it with boldness. So it's a a serious threat as they were heavily dependent on rain. Without it, they would have no food and a a prolonged drought not only would bring thirst uh, when the creeks all dried up, but starvation as well. And all through his address to Ahab, Elijah again, is continually poking at Baal. Your God's the God of rain, let's find out. Your God's God of thunder? Let's just see. We're gonna find out whose God is God. The true and living God has spoken. You pray to your God of rain, and we will see whose God is really in control. You've traded the true and living God for a powerless block of wood. You know, what does the world chase after today? The world has idols today. It can be anything from athletes to actors. It could be your job. It could be money. It could be whatever it is. And we have other things we make more important than the Lord. And those things are false idols. It says this in James. I love this. It says, Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fell, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Now James says that to let us know that while Elijah was used mightily by God, so can we be. Can I get an amen to that? We pray to the same God. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. God hears our prayers. And just as Elijah was used in such a mighty way, so too we can be used. In a mighty way. Amen. What did Elijah do? He just obeyed God. He was a man of prayer and he could hear his voice. By the way, if you don't read your Bible and you don't pray, you're not going to hear from God. Amen. Told this to my brother in law when he first got saved. He goes, I wish I could hear God speak to me out loud. I said, Just open up your Bible and read it out loud and you will. Can I get an amen? God speaks to us when we open up the Bible, when we open up the Word of God. I, I love to walk around and just read my Bible out loud. There's something different about that. It keeps me more focused on what I'm studying. And so Elijah was as human as we are, and God used him mightily. He desires to use us as well. He did some amazing things through Elijah, but before you dismiss everything that, again, we and think God would never use me like that, just know that, again, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one who can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. So point number one, in growing in faith while living in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation, Ahab is the most evil king that would ever live. The Bible says so. His wife Jezebel is worse than him, if that's possible. And then we see point number two, by being willing to take a stand and speak the truth of boldness, even when nobody else will. Doesn't look like people were racing Elijah to go in to see Ahab. People were fearful. And you know what? Here's the reality. When we lack faith what will most often take its place is fear. Fear, anxiety, and worry are all the opposite of faith. And your faith grows every time you step out and you see God show up, amen? Every time you go through a trial and God brings you through it, every difficulty you go through. You've heard me say it before, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And it's easier to say you have faith when you're on the cruise ship to heaven and everything's perfect, but we find out where our faith really is when it's put to the test. And so praise God that no suffering again is wasted and God is indeed in control. We need to make a stand. And you know what? We're going to see why Elijah continues to make stands and continues to grow. Point number three, in growing in faith, by obeying God's word, even in the midst of great trials and persecution, trusting God to provide, we're going to see a time of pruning in the life of Elijah. So there's no due for, years, for, th- for these years, expect, except in my word. Verse two, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here, turn eastward eastward, and hide by the brook shereth, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. You have ravens or crows, which is it? Aren't crows just little ravens kind of? I thought about you when I was studying this week. She's got crows for pets. God bless her. But what's amazing about this, can you imagine God telling you, okay, I need you. you, All right, now, now if God told us to stay home, we'd stay home. God didn't tell us to stay home, did he? Can I get amen? Amen. Okay. Here he tells them, you need to go and wait out part of this. I'm gonna minister to you. I'm gonna speak to you. I'm gonna show you my provision. I'm gonna grow you in faith. And I want you to go eastward and you're going to go out to this river, this creek that's out in the middle of the desert. And there you're going to stay. He's going to be there for over a year. And while you're there, he'll have the water to drink in the creek until it dries up. And he's going to have ravens fly in and bring him food. If that isn't a miracle, have you ever seen a raven give up food? <laughs> and ravens will eat anything. They're scavengers. They'll eat what's left of a dead carcass has been run over by 15 trucks out on the road. And yet, they're going to gather up food and bring it to Elijah so he doesn't starve. Do you know our God is the God of all creation? Do you know that our God is in control of all things? Not only can he make it stop raining, but he can make the animals do whatever he wants because he's God. Amen? So can you imagine the faith that would be built as he goes away? He's going to obey the Lord and go where the Lord told him to go. It's an act of faith. And trust that in the midst of this drought that he brought himself, brought the word himself. God's going to provide for him to drinking water through the creek where he'll be by himself and alone. And that these birds will come. Can you imagine? We're going to see They're going to come twice a day and bring him food. Can you imagine every time they showed up how he must've thought, wow, here come them ravens again. We don't even know where they went to get the food. Maybe they flew to Ahab's house and, and, and took some of his stuff. I don't know. <laughs> but they brought food and they found him and brought it to him. It's homing pigeons. These are homing ravens right here. So keep in mind that, again, everything we read here, God is in control. And lessons we hear here, uh, it's not how we make things happen, it's how God makes things happen. You know, Elijah was a mighty man of God only because he obeyed God. Amen? It's not because Elijah was great. Because the God he serves is great and he obeys him. Amen. You want to do great things for the kingdom of God? Obey God. Amen. Read his word, open it, read it, obey it. Amen. Spend time in his presence. Let him speak to you. Walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord. If we are to be used mightily by God, we must be faithful to the word of God. Aren't you glad he wrote it down? Aren't you glad we don't have to get together and discuss what we think we should do? All we need to do is open up the Bible, open it, read it, and obey it. Now, the word cherith there, it actually means a place of cutting. And Elijah's home, uh, where he comes from, uh, he's, you know, he's sort of a Tishbite, in the eastern side of Jordan, the brook cherith flows near it into the Jordan River, and it's a really desolate place. And God sends him away for a time of both to protect him, but also to prune him. It's easy to read through verses in the Bible and just read by it and not even think about it, but he spent over a year by himself out in the wilderness being fed by ravens and knowing that every one of Ahab's men is looking for him to kill him. Ahab's put his name out He's the top, most wanted on the list, and he's out in this place all by himself, and he could have been playing, woe is me, and he could have been upset with God. Well, God, I stood for you, and now I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. But God is teaching him to be fully reliant upon God, and God is pruning him. God's doing a work in him. See, whenever something is growing, the way it grows thicker, you can ask anybody, some of you guys know way more about this than I do, but you cut branches back. And then when they, gro- they bloom even bigger the next time around, right? And so he's being pruned in a sense. A place means a place of cutting. I don't think that's by, ch- nothing's by chance in the Bible. Can I get an amen? So he's there and he's being pruned. God's doing a work in him. He's doing a work in his heart. He's preparing him. And all that time that he's by himself, he's communing with the Lord. God's providing for him. And again, he has time to really contemplate and meditate on the things of the Lord, it is pretty crazy to me that where Cherith is, it's in, Jordan, it's in modern day Jordan. And what's scary about that to me is a prophet of God was more safe outside the land of promise than he was inside the land of promise. And that ought to tell you something's wrong. Can I get an amen to that? There was a time when we were being threatened that if we stayed open at VOS, we might be arrested. And I was thinking, it's pretty sad when pastors are under the threat of being arrested and convicted felons are getting let out of jail because they're afraid they might get COVID if they stay there. I think something's wrong. Can I get an amen? And we even got a visit from a sheriff one time, and you know he said, "Well, we've had complaints, but I'm not going to arrest Christians." I said, "Well, praise God, because if you do, we'll just have church. We'll just have church in jail because all the felons are gone. We'll just be us." Can I get an amen? But the reality is that it's tragic, and it says something about a nation by what it what it upholds, and what it ceases to silence. Amen? When we're upholding the killing of babies, when we're upholding, uh, you know, same-sex marriage, we're upholding the lie of evolution, we're upholding all these things that are so outside of the will of God, and then we're attacking anybody who makes a stand. You're transphobic, you're homophobic, you're dysophobic, you're a science denier because you don't believe in evolution. Evolution is the lie of the devil. Can I get an amen to that? Did not go from the goo to the zoo to you. That didn't happen. Can I get an amen? That we were created in the image of God and God's not an amoeba. And here's the reality. This is what's happening in Israel because the prophet of God is hiding in Jordan because it's not safe for the man of God to be with God's people because they've turned their backs on the true and living God and they're worshiping the false God, Baal. So as he is there, God's doing a work in his heart. God's preparing him for what is next. And again, ministry requires the cutting away. Before Elijah would call down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel, he has to spend time in this place where his life is being pruned. We're going to see the next thing. His life's going to be refined. Sometimes we begin begin to think if we obey God and walk in the center of his will and use his gifts, that our life is going to run smoothly. And the truth is, that's just not the case. It's just not. It says this in John 15, Jesus calls what he's going through pruning. He says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might b- bear more fruit. So if you want to produce fruit in your life, you're going to need to be pruned sometimes. Amen. He's saying the ones that don't bear fruit, he just throws them in the fire. But the ones that are bearing fruit, that's the people that are being used by God. Those are people that are walking with the Lord. There's going to go through some times of great difficulty and trials. And sometimes the enemy is going to make you think it's all your fault. And you're walking with the Lord and things are going sideways. And, and, and the enemy wants you to think it's all... Now, sometimes it is our fault. Can I get an amen to that? And that's called the consequences of sin. But sometimes when you're walking with the Lord and you're serving him... We're going to go through trials. We're going to go through times of pruning, and we're going to come out the other side, hopefully, more on fire for God. Throughout Scripture, we see that virtually everyone that is used mightily, again, suffers greatly. It tells him, You shall drink from the brook there in verse 4, and I have commanded ravens to feed you. And again, a raven was an unclean animal in Leviticus. So he's, bringing, he's using unclean animals to bring fruit to one of his prophets. And we see God's provision. Again, even though he was being pruned, God was providing. And we need to remember that. Even when we're going through times where God is, you know, molding us more into the image of his son, God is still faithful. He still loves us. He will still provide for us. And he is a faithful God, and we can trust him. Part of the of the process of becoming useful to God is learning to trust in God's provision and to be content with whatever he provides you. You could have been out there going, man, I've been in a raven's beak, man. I don't want to eat that. I think I'm being ravenous, you know why don't you barbecue me a raven? Why don't we just do that, right? But he doesn't do that. Why? Because we need to learn to be satisfied with whatever God gives us. Amen? amen. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen. And we can get so caught up pursuing the things of this world that we look up, I don't have time to be in fellowship because I've got a second job to pay for my boat and my second house. And, my, you know, and we got this thing that when people are just chasing after stuff, you know, you know, spending money we don't have on things we don't need to oppress people we don't know. Can I get an amen to that? And the Lord wants us just to focus on him and be content with provision. We should be the best workers in the building and trust that God will provide. But know that where God guides, God provides. God guided him out in the wilderness, and then God provided for him in the wilderness. Amen? And when God guides us into, we go through difficult times, know that you're not alone, that God is faithful. Verse 5, so he went. And again, we could just pass right by that. But God told him, go out to the wilderness, go up to Jordan. And some ravens are going to show up and feed you. And he could have said, yeah, I don't think so. But he went. And I love in the Bible, God says it, and you see the, men, the, the mighty men and women of God. God tells them to do it, and, then use it right up, and they went. So he went. And they did, and they did as God commanded. Guys, I think that's the biggest problem we have. If we would just obey what God's told us to do, we can get rid of all, some of the struggles we're going through right now. Amen? One of the biggest things I... I hear often is, and I'm dealing with a few people doing it right now, you're dating an unbeliever, and you're like, what are you doing? I'm just, you know, have we met? I'm pretty blunt sometimes, amen? What are you thinking, bro? What are you doing? I don't care how pretty she is. Who cares? Jezebel, can I get an amen? Pray for her. She needs to be saved. I'm sure Jezebel was a hottie, but that didn't work out too good, did it? The reality is we want someone who loves Jesus as much or more than we do. Can I get an amen to that? Someone who seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what happens instead is we go by the world's with the world's you know, way of doing things. And before you know it, we're compromising. And then we look up and our life's a mess. Guys, we need to obey God. You heard me say it often. The word of God is not a wall to keep you out of Disneyland. It is a guardrail to keep you from driving off the cliff. Amen. God gives us the law for a reason to protect us, not to keep us from fun. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed at the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. He went and he did. He acted in obedience. And there are great blessings that come in our lives when we learn to simply obey the Lord as he wants us to do. When God begins to use you in the lives of others, you will find out that before you can expect to see blessings and doing the right right things in others, you need to be obedient. If you want God to use you to minister to somebody else, you've got to walk in obedience yourself. Amen? If you're a hypocrite, nobody cares what you have to say. And they shouldn't. We need to be an example in our behavior. Because here's what happens. When you're walking with the Lord, I'll tell you when they're watching you the most when you're going through the trial. When everything's falling apart, they're watching to see if you're going to abandon your faith or you're going to continue to make a stand for the things of God. You can continue to put your faith and your hope and your trust in the Lord. You guys all know my testimony. 10 years ago, I, I bought surgery, put me in a coma. For, I was in the hospital for almost a year, came home. My, my boys had gone sideways. We went through some great difficulties. And you know what? People say, did you ever ask God why? And I never asked God why. It's always what and how. What do you want to do and how do you want to use this for your kingdom? Can I get an amen? What do you want to teach me and how do you want to use this for your kingdom? Because guys, no suffering is wasted. And I believe that God has used it in my life and the life of my family to mold us more into the image of our savior. Elijah's going to live with a widow woman and she's going to need to trust God to provide. But before Elijah can go there, Elijah must learn to obey the word of the Lord and see how God provides himself. See, when he sees God provide, now he can look at someone else and say, I know God will provide. See, when, when we see God take our kids that are in rebellion and bring them back to the Lord. And we can look somebody in the eyes and say, God's not done with your kids yet. When we lose our job and we can't. we don't have the finances, we can look and say, God's going to provide for you. Amen. When you, get, when you have an illness, or you go through a difficulty, we can say that God is, he is the great physician. And see the, the trials that we go through, those things are not wasted. They're molding us and preparing us so that we can minister into the lives of others. Amen. I'm on the Calvary pastor's server for all the, there's almost 3,000 Calvary chapels, and I'm on the list for anybody who's got kids struggling with drugs, and they call me. And not that I have all the answers, but here's what I can tell them. I've come out the other side, and my kids are all walking with the Lord, and they're all sober again, and God can do that. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so when we go through things, it gives us not just sympathy, but empathy. We understand what God can do, because we've seen him do it. Amen? Amen? And so he gets to see God provide to these ravens, we're going to see in a few verses, he's now going to be with a widow woman who's down to her last handful of meal, and she thinks she's going to starve to death, and he can look her in the eye and say, I know that God will provide because I've seen him do it. Amen? I've shared this story with you when I was a uh, PK. I'm a preacher's kid, and so are my kids, and so are my grandkids. I kind of love that. It's a cool thing. PK, you know, when you ask somebody who's a PK, and they, they always think the pastor's kids are the ones that get in trouble, but... uh I remember growing up and my dad was paid so little. I didn't really know until my dad went to heaven and I have all his records in his filing cabinet. And I saw that in 1968, he was making $311 a month. He got a job in sales in the next year and he was making $2,400 a month. So I'll give you an idea of what we're talking about. I remember we always ran out of food every month. And my family, and I didn't know any different, but we ate mac and cheese and beans every night. Mac and cheese and beans, because mac and cheese and beans is cheap, Amen. And on Sundays, we got mac and beans, mac and cheese, beans, and tuna fish on Sundays. And what's funny is later, my dad had left and went into, got a full-time job, became CEO of a company, was doing just fine. And we would ask my mom for mac and cheese and beans and tuna fish because we loved it because that's what we thought everybody ate, right? But I remember a couple of times we were completely out of food. On the 20, They paid you once a month. On the 28th of the month, I remember one time, my mom was in tears. We had one box of mac and cheese left in the cupboard. And we went to church and we came home and my mom was heartbroken trying to figure out what they could sell to get money for food. And we opened up the cupboard and food fell out of the cupboard. We opened up the fridge and it was packed full. And there was even otter pops in the freezer. I remember that because I was like six and I was all about otter pops. But what I'm thinking is somebody came to our house and put food in our house, but that was God providing for us. Amen. God moved on some. And you know what? And it was amazing because I still remember that. That was 51 years ago. I still remember it. Why? Because God provided. God showed up. God gets the glory. Can I get an amen? And so he's out in the and the ravens are showing up twice a day to feed him. And now he knows my God provides because I've seen him do it. Notice it says there in verse 7, verse six, excuse me, that says the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So his provision God provided, even when it seemed impossible, I'm amazed that those ravens delivered the meat and didn't eat it all themselves. That's a miracle in and of itself. And then it says in verse seven, it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So even though Elijah is there, Elijah too has to experience some of the drought. Even though he was the one that brought the righteous judgment for it, he too had to experience what it was like to go through a drought. And I believe that God allows that. Look, the Bible says he reigns on the just and the unjust. Amen. Amen. God allows us to go through trials too. It's the lie of the devil. By the way, I don't. Joel Osteen on Sunday, I did, my head almost exploded. He said that they wandered in the wilderness, for that that, that God blessed them because they had been under bondage for 430 years, and he owed them all those years back to bless them because of what they had gone through. And he said, so if you've gone through difficulty, God's got a blessing coming your way because he owes you a blessing. God didn't owe me anything. Can I get an amen to that? And they were in bondage because they turned to idolatry. Can I get an amen to that? This is what happens you don't read your Bible, and all of a sudden you start telling people, blowing sunshine at them, when the reality is that sometimes consequences come. Amen? And even when we're obeying God, but here's Elijah, he's the guy that pronounced the drought was coming, and now he's dealing with the consequences of it, right? Why is God doing that? Because God wants to show him his provision, he wants him to be able to relate to those, again, who've gone through it. He wants, to, he wants him to be able to see God show up. So Elijah just doesn't get a free pass with the drought. He too must experience it. it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, he comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort which we ourselves have been comforted by God. So God allows us to go through trials and then he comforts us so that we then can comfort others with the same comfort we receive from him. Does that make sense? So we go through those things. And again, no suffering is wasted. It's all part of God's plan to mold us in to the image of our Savior. Elijah has a ministry to the, ma- to the nation. But in his ministry, he needs to know what people are going through uh, first before he can minister to them. And the difficulties that you were going through, are not for any, for, and they're not for nothing, as you learn to receive God's help and become more useful for the kingdom of God. So God's preparing Elijah. Everything we're going through tonight... He's preparing him for Mount Carmel. You guys know what happens at Mount Carmel? The, the prophets of Baal and Elijah are going to both pray to call fire down from the sky. The prophets of Baal are going to do it first. Just come next week or next couple of weeks, you'll see it. But God's preparing him for that. But Elijah doesn't even know what's coming. And that's the point I want to make. Sometimes you're going through things. You don't understand how God could use it. And then you, you fast forward five years and you understand everything I went through. God is now using that for his glory. Amen. And so even though we don't know the future, God does. And I promise you that we need to learn to just trust him in the midst of these great trials. Remember, as you go through great trials and difficulty, again, no suffering is wasted. God's preparing you and equipping you for the future. And while the trials and difficulties we go through may be painful now, here's what's more painful. You know what's more painful than going through a trial now? It's going through the greater trial later and being unprepared for it because you've never experienced God's faithfulness in the midst of a trial. Amen? without him being out in the creek and without him being with this widow, he would have never been ready for Mount Carmel. And same is true for us. The trials we go through are the things that God uses to mold us more into the image of our savior. God is developing Elijah's faith. When you're being fed by ravens, now the brook has dried up and the Lord is going to drive Elijah to a new place, further develop his faith and also give him a divine appointment to minister to others. So point number three there, growing in faith by obeying God's word, even in the midst of great trials and persecution. He was being persecuted by Ahab. The armies wanted him dead. He was going through a great trial. God told him what to do. He obeyed the Lord. God showed up. God provided for him. Point number four, by trusting in God's promises and going wherever he leads. It says in verse eight, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, this sentence makes no sense from the physical perspective. Here's why. Zarephath, guess who's from Zarephath? Jezebel. So he says, go to Jezebel's hometown where they really love to worship Baal. And you're the one that just called, just poked the eye of Baal and said, Baal's a phony God. And you're the one that stopped all the rain. And everybody knows it's Jehovah that stopped the rain. They all know that it came from the prophet of Jehovah. And I want you to just march into their hometown. And by the way, Tyre and Sidon, we saw them with Solomon. When Solomon built the temple, he bargained with Tyre and Sidon. And one of the things, they they gave him materials. And bonus points, anybody remembers what, what they gave back? What did they give them? They gave them wood, but what did they give them back? What did Israel give to Sidon? Food. Did you say that? not a baby. You go, Billy. <laughs> Somebody was listening. Here's the thing. They gave them food. So you know what that tells me? Israel's better off with food than Sidon is. And Israel's starving. How do you think Sidon's doing? They're the ones who would have to borrow food when it was raining. How are they doing in the drought? So he tells them, I want you to go to the place where they struggle more for food than even Israel does. And I want you to go there. And guess what? That's where Jezebel's from. And they love Baal up there and then you're going to find a widow. Now, if, anybody, if everybody's starving, guess who's starving even more? The widow. And you're going to go find a widow, and she's going to provide for you. Now, this takes some faith. Can I get an amen? God's telling her to do something that doesn't make any sense. I want you to go to the land of pagan idolatry where Jezebel is from. You'll be amongst the people who, who they're, they're, you know, Ahab and Jezebel have called out for you to be put to death. And, they're just, and they have no food. They have less food than Israel does. And you're going to find a widow to provide for you. That's called stepping out in faith. Amen. So Elijah just doesn't move from Cherith until the Lord tells him to move. He didn't say, hey, it's dry out here. It's time to move on. He just waited until God told him to move. By the way, if God hasn't told you what to do next, just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing right where you are. Can I get an amen to that? Too often we're looking for this new thing. Just be faithful right where you are. And if God has something more for you, he'll show you. Amen. Amen. But if God has you here, God wants to use you here. You're part of the fellowship. God wants to use you. So what's interesting is Zarephath, just like uh, Cherith means cutting, Zarephath means refinery. I love that. And guess what? He's going to be refined. There's an old song that I used to love. We used to love I used to sing a lot. It's called Refiner's Fire. My heart's one desire is to be holy. Amen. Purify my heart, right? So the Lord purifies our heart. And, you know, in a refinery, what they do—the way they they get the the gold to be as pure as possible—is they heat it up to a to a ridiculous temperature. And what happens is all the dross, all the the foreign metals, raise to the top, and they just scrape all the all the gunk off. And they just keep it hot until it keeps. Co- and then before you know it, it's there's nothing left but pure gold. And they know it's pure when they can see the reflection in it. And I love that. And so here's what's happening. God said, okay, now you've been in the place of cutting and pruning. You're going to the refinery, bro. And he sends him up to Zarephath, place of refining. And it's there that his faith is going to continue to grow. And he's going to be refined in his relationship with the Lord. It says in 1 Peter, in this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, guys, the trials we're going through not, and the heat may be on you right now. Whatever difficulty you're going through, God's removing that dross and he's molding you more and more to the image of our Savior, if you will let him, amen? So no suffering is wasted, He's a faithful God. He refines our faith, our trust in him like a goldsmith refines gold. There's nothing, there's, there is no refining, by the way, without fire. You can't have a refinery without fire. Fire purifies, but fire also puts you in a, in a hot place. Amen. Now notice what it says there in verse uh, 10, 11, and 12. So he arose, there we go again, commanded to go find, there's going to be a widow there. Go up to the land of Baal, go to Jezebel's hometown, the place where they have as much food as we've got down here. And I just want you to go up there and you're going to find a widow and she's going to provide for you. And then you don't see him arguing. You don't see him debating God. What does he say? It says, so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little cup, of water in a cup that I may drink. Now, normally that wouldn't be a big deal. But when a drought's been going on for well over a year and water's running thin and creeks are drying up, a cup of water is a big deal, amen? And he says to this widow, that means she doesn't have a husband to provide for her. We're gonna see that she has a son that she has to care for. And he's asking her to bring him a cup of water. Then it says, verse 11, and as she was going to get it, so she says, okay, and she obeys and she goes to get this man water. He called and said to her, "'Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand.'" So not only does he want water in the midst of a drought, but he wants bread in a time when everybody is starving, when most people are running out of food, and she lives in a place where food is even more scarce than the place he came from. Then it says in verse 12, "'So she said, as the Lord your God lives, "'I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, "'and a little oil in a jar.'" And see, I'm gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. She basically says, I don't have enough to make bread. I don't have enough to make anything like that. I've got a little tiny bit left. I'm gathering some sticks. I'm going to use the oil to create a fire. I'm going to put the oil and the the, the flour together. And I'm going to make a little tiny, whatever I've got left. And me and my son are going to share it. Then we're going to be out of food. And we're going to just be here till we starve to death. So she's at the end of herself. Now here's what I love. God prepares the heart of the one who's coming to minister and he prepares the heart of the one that's going to be ministered to. Can I get an amen to that? So when God uses you to minister to somebody else, he's been working on their heart and working on yours. I always think of Peter and Cornelius. Remember Cornelius wanted to know about God and God told him to send you know, messengers to bring Peter back and Peter would never minister to Gentiles at that point. And he, Acts chapter 10, he sees the scroll go up, you know, rise, kill, and eat, right? Well, God is cleansed and no man calling clean. There's a knock on the door. He goes and meets with Cornelius and his whole household gets saved. He was working on Cornelius's heart and Peter's heart. Well, guess what? This woman's at the end of herself. She's at the point where she believes this is it. I'm going to die. And God brings this prophet to come and minister to her. See, God's not only doing a work in the heart of Elijah. God is using Elijah while he's doing a work in his heart. Amen. God's going to use him to minister to this woman who's going to come to know the Lord through her relationship with Elijah. See, guys, when God's doing a work in us, he's also doing a lot of other stuff at the same time. Amen. God is molding us into the image of our savior, but he's also using us to minister to somebody else. And I just love the sovereignty of God and knowing that he's in control. So here's this poor widow. And she just looks back at him and says, I, don't have, I can't make you any food. What are you talking about? And she recognizes that he's a prophet of God. You notice that? She knows it. And she, she might have even know, dude, this is the dude that everybody's looking for to kill. Maybe I'll get a reward. She doesn't do that. She addresses him. Now, I love this divine appointment and how this plays out. Now, watch what happens. Verse 13. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. So she says, I don't have anything. And he still asks her again, Don't operate in fear, operate in faith. Can I get an amen? Do you notice that right there? Do not fear. And then he tells her to do something out of faith. And again, fear and faith are opposites. And so Elijah sounds kind of selfish almost, like I still want something to eat. But the woman is being tested to trust the Lord to provide after she gives all that she has to Elijah. Look at the rest of the verse. It says, and afterward, make some for yourself and your son. Now I will say this, this verse gets taken out of context because what he's asking this woman to do is you have almost nothing left, give it to me and then God will bless you. We're going to see that in the next verse. And I've heard, you know, televangelists try to use that to get people who have nothing to give to him. And I always say, well, dude, you ain't Elijah. Can I get an amen to that? And we should be giving nothing to you. And you're, you know, but God is doing a work in our heart Because, you know, it's like the widow's mite, right? She takes what little she has left. And guys, I don't, and you know, you know this, we don't even pass an offering here, right? Because we don't want anybody to tip God. You know what I mean? We don't want you to, oh, it's coming by, better better throw something in so I'll look like a heathen, right? We don't want to do that. We want you to give from a cheerful heart, amen? And where God guides, God provides. But the Bible does tell us that we can't outgive God, amen? Whatever we give to him, and I'm not, and he's not the holy lottery either. Don't get that wrong. I'm going to give God a thousand, you got to give me back more. No, that's not how that works either. God, what God has already given us is already enough. Can I get an amen to that? The promise of eternal life far outweighs anything we'd ever give to the Lord. You give us, God moves on your heart to give. But what he's teaching this woman is, if you will just let go and trust God with everything, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. When you make God the priority and the passion of your life, he'll take care of everything else. Can I get an amen to that? And so that's what's being asked here. And it's a difficult thing because it's not just her, it's her son. I think it would have been a lot easier. But anybody, got uh, kids or grandkids, you know that you'll go without long before you want your kids going without, amen? My par- I remember looking back and my parents would go without meals so we could eat, because you know, that's what parents do, amen? But she also knows if I give it to this man, I'm going to be taking away what little is left for my son. So it says there in verse 14... So go make, bring me some, make whatever's left for yourself. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day Lord, the Lord sends rain on earth. Okay, he's telling her something that's unbelievable and impossible. But you know what? That's when faith has to step up, amen? Faith is when it doesn't make sense and we need to do it anyway. Faith is when we, have, when we haven't seen, Right? It's not seeing and then believing. It's believing and then seeing. And so here's what's happening. If you'll do this, I have a promise to you that's coming from God that your oil will never run out and neither will the bin of flour. And now she has a choice to make. I have a little bit left. Am I willing to let it go? And so for some of us, we're hanging on to what little we have instead of putting it all in God's hands and watching what God can do. Amen. God wants to use us in a mighty and a powerful way. So here's the promise. Give all that you have to God. And again, it's, it's a lot easier said than done. It's a lot easier said than done to just let go of what we have. And again, I'm not, it's not a fundraiser. We don't have those here. You'll never see a thermometer on the wall. We'll never have pack you Tuesday. We're not doing none of that. We're just going to have church preach the word of love people and God will provide. Can I get an amen to that? He always does. Now watch, verse 15. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and praise the Lord. She obeyed God when it didn't make sense. She stepped out in faith to honor a God she didn't even really know yet. Amen. And what did God do? He was faithful to his promise. And I can just imagine that every time she opened up that bin, and the flower was full again. Can you imagine? You make food for your family, for your son, and maybe she has extended relatives that says all her household. She makes them all food, everybody else is and then she opens up and it's full again. The oil that she uses goes back, it's full again. Kind of like that day we came home from church, we opened it up and the fridge was full again. And we had no idea where it came from, and we never did find out. And I think that's great because then God gets all the glory. Amen. God gets all the praise and all the honor. You know what? We see this throughout the New Testament as well. Remember when Jesus fed the five thousand? What did he start with? What did he start with? A boy's lunch. Can I get an amen? Everybody out there is hungry. There's five thousand people plus women and children. And they're out there hungry, and one kid was smart enough to bring a lunch. Amen. And they ask him, "Hey, kick down your lunch." I, hey, I, they're stupid. Not me. I got lunch. You know, he could have, but you know what he does. He gives it to the Lord. And what happens is you take what little we have and you put it in the hands of our Savior and it multiplies beyond belief. Can I get an amen to that? And I'm not talking about resources. I'm talking about gifts, resources, time, treasures, everything. Amen? If we put it in God's hands, he'll multiply it. It's amazing how he'll do that. He is such a faithful God. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he started by asking a little boy, remember when he was done, they had 12 baskets full left over. They fed everybody and they had more at the end. Than they had at the beginning. So we see her point number six, growing in faith by trusting in God's promises and going wherever he leads, even when it doesn't make sense. See, the woman was blessed. The woman was ministered to, but do you think Elijah was blessed too? Because he, he saw raven, ravens came and fed him. He drank from the brook. And now he sees God show up in a way that you can't even explain Because at least ravens showing up, they get the food somewhere, but now it just keeps refilling itself. How does that even happen? Because our God is greater. Amen. Last point by putting your faith in action. Okay. So he's been refined. He's gone through the refiner's fire. He's been pruned, right? Elijah's growing. Everything that he's going through, God's teaching him something. God's increasing his faith. And now there's going to come a time where God's going to need, God's going to use him to step out in faith and do something miraculous. Look at verse 17. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick, and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. The little boy died. Now the woman obeyed God, and still her little boy died. Here's another example that just because we're walking in obedience doesn't mean trials won't come. But I want you to know that this trial came that she might grow, and we're going to see it and that God might be glorified. Can I get an amen to that? When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Amen. But we also go through trials sometimes. And when we do, we have to trust that God knows what he's doing. Now look at verse 18. Now watch what she says. She says to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? Now what's interesting here is, if you, read it, if you really take a look at that, what she's saying is, did my son die because of some sin I had? Let me read that to you again. Here's what she says. Oh, man of God, have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance? So she knew there was some sin in her life. And now she thinks, well, my son died because of the sin in my life. And again, sometimes the sin in our life does produce consequences, but not always. Amen. Sometimes God, you know, again, it rains on the just and the unjust. Amen. We go through trials that, now why? why, We're going to see before the next five verses here, we're going to see that this trial was used for God's glory. We're going to see it's going to even bring this woman to a place where she's going to cry out to the true and living God, and we're going to see this woman in heaven. Can I get an amen? And see, that's what matters. See, the trials of life, no, no sufferings wasted. God's at work. And again, while our sin does indeed have consequences, trials are, are not consequences of sin, but they're part of God's ultimate plan to bring about his will. It tells us in James, account in all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if you get a divorce after adultery, that's consequences of your sin. Can I get an amen? But if something happens in your marriage, and there's difficulty while you're both walking with the Lord. Those are trials we go through, and God can use even those for his glory. So how is, how is Elijah going to respond? See, Elijah's seen, heard the word of the Lord, and he went in and stood up in front of Ahab. Elijah's seen the ravens come and feed him. Elijah's seen how God made You know, flour and oil appear from out of nowhere. And what it's done is it's increased his faith. So now, when he sees the son, he's going to take an action because his faith has grown. He's been through the pruning process, he's been through the fire that's refined him. Look what it says in verse 19. He said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid on him laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Now, you need to understand something. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe anybody has risen from the dead that's recorded anywhere in scripture up to this point. So he's asking for something that has never happened, at least that's recorded in the word. And he's asking the impossible. Guys, that's faith. Can I get an amen? It's asking for something that's never been done. He lays on the boy and he cries out to the Lord because he believes. He knows that God can feed him from ravens. He knows that God can protect him from Ahab when he goes in and speaks the word with boldness. He knows that God can refill the the flour and the oil and feed a family until it stops raining. And he knows that his God can raise this young man from the dead if he wants to, because that's the greatness of the God we serve, amen? He's not the dead God of Baal, the false God of Baal. And here they are, they're in Baal territory. They're in Jezebel's hometown, and here he is crying out to the Lord. And notice he cries out three times. I and mean, guys, we need to pray with fervent. We need to pray fervently. Amen. Now the Bible says not to pray with vain repetition. We don't sit, you know, say the same prayer over and over. Blah, 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 blah. No, but we we should pray with perseverance. Amen. We should continue to pray. You know when you need to stop praying for something when God answers it or tells you you're, you're good. Can I get an amen? Until then, keep praying. Told you the story of uh, my Muslim boss. For 15 years, I prayed for her. And it was when I almost died and went through all the trials I went through, she came and visited me in the hospital and said, your first Sunday back at church, I'm coming. She came, she got saved, and she came all the way down here to Malibu so I could baptize her after I moved down here. 15 years of prayer. and You know what? Uh, It would have been worth it if I prayed 50 years. Can I get an amen to that? And here he is. He's crying out to the Lord. He's laying on top of him. You know, we lay hands on people. And it's amazing to me. I just love this picture. You know, you lay hands on people when for everything else, he's like, this guy's dead. I'm laying on top of him. (laughs) I'm giving him the full, I'm giving the full, hey, 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 Lord, I'm right here. And he's crying out to the Lord. And you know what? Praise God when we get to the place where we're so humble, broken, and desperate that we can just cry out to him. Amen? I know I've shared with you guys that there was a time with one of my son's had left a rehab and we were concerned about him because a lot of times they leave and they'll go out and get drugs and they'll overdose. And and I was literally laying on the floor in my bedroom, crying out to God at the top of my lungs. And you know what? I, I I told this story. So I had no idea where he was. I got in my car. He was in LA, a few people in LA got in my car, started driving. We drove down the, I drove down the freeway. I got on the 10. I don't know why. I got off the exit and there was my son panhandling at the end of the exit. See, God knows what he's doing. Can I get an amen? But I got to a place where I was just crying out to God. And sometimes we need to be brought to the end of ourselves so we don't try to fix it ourselves because we know we can't fix it and only he can. And you know what that does? It drives us to our knees. We ought to be all the time anyway. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. And here's Elijah. He's just crying out, Lord. Please you know he's been living with these people for a time. No doubt he's grown to love the widow and the son. He loves them. And he cares for them and his heart's broken. And here you know we fed her but now her son is gone. And he's crying out to God from the depths of his soul. And notice what it says there. Oh Lord my God I pray let his child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. Isn't it good to know that God hears your voice every time you pray? Amen. By the way that's only for believers. People get People go, well, God hears a prayer. No, not, a, not a prayer of repentance because we pray to the Father in the name of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen to that? Otherwise, you're yelling down a well in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? So he cries out and God hears his prayer and the soul of the child came back in him and he revived. Yes, Lord. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to have ravens bringing you food. That's pretty good. The, the flour keeps refilling itself in the oil. That's, that's even better. Someone raised him from the dead. Our God has triumphed over sin and death. Can I get an amen? And you know what? When my mom went to heaven last Saturday, I've had more people call me with condolences. My coworkers have been calling me, and I'm like Dave, you seem to... And I, you know, I'm, I weep. I pray for my mom. I think about her. I've been watching old videos of my mom with my, my kids, and I miss her. And there's a whole, you know, there's a, a little hole in my heart that's missing because she's not here. And I love my mom. Praise God for my mom. But that being said, they're like, "How do you feel?" I said, "I know I, my mom." you know, sorry for your loss. She's not lost. I know exactly where she is. Can I get an amen? (laughs) She closed her eyes on earth and opened them up in glory. She's doing better than all of us. I grieve for me, not for her. Can I get an amen to that? And here he is because our God is a God who triumphed over sin and death. Amen. And all the way back here in first Kings, Elijah asked for something that maybe no one else had ever asked for. We've not seen anybody raised from the dead in, prior to this in scripture. And he cries out for it. And God answers his prayer. Do you think Elijah's faith might have grown? Do you think the faith of everybody there in Baal land might have got their attention? Can I get an amen? Poke in the eyes of Baal, amen? Your God can't even make it rain and our God raises people from the dead. Can I get an amen to that? And I just love this picture and I love... Now, it, all of this is preparing Elijah for Mount Carmel. Because he's going to go up on Mount Carmel and he's going to say, you pray and see if your God will bring down fire and then I'll pray. And while they're praying, he's mocking them. Maybe your God's out hunting. You know, maybe he's in the bathroom. You know, man, it's in the scripture. It's in the Bible. I'm telling you, got to come back for it. Okay. It's coming. But the reality is all that faith grew from somewhere else. See, that faith came from going through trials and difficulty and seeing God show up. And here's what we want. We don't want any trials. We want our life to be the crew on the cruise ship to heaven. Christianity is not a cruise ship to heaven. It's a battleship anchored at the gates of hell. Amen? And it's a spiritual battle that we fight every day. And so don't look at trials as something that is unfair or something that is harmful. Look at it as an opportunity to grow in your relationship with the Lord and for God to be glorified in, this, in your circumstances. Can I get an amen to that? And then finally, it says there, then the woman said to Elijah, now... By this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. That's even the better miracle, ultimately, because she's basically confessing that. Now, you notice the oil and the flour didn't get it. Amen. She was thankful for the oil and the flour, but her son raised it from the dead, put it in a whole nother level, because now she's saying, Now I know that what you preach is the truth. And now I know the God that you serve is the true and living God. See, God's doing a work in Elijah to mold him into the image, more into the image of our Savior as he does that work in us. But while he's doing that work, God's at work using us to minister to other people. Can I get an amen to that? So no suffering is wasted. God is glorified. I love this picture. We serve a God who has conquered death. Death has no sting. And again, we know that God has not given us a spirit of fear but power and love and a sound mind. It was his faithful actions that became the proof that he was indeed a man of God. You know how people know that we're men and women of God? It's our actions. It's not just the words that we say, it's the actions that we take. Guys, we need to be uh, living and moving and breathing sermons everywhere we go. Amen? We need to share the word with boldness, but they should see it in the way we live our lives. And, most, and with the pl- time they should see it the most is when we're growing through the greatest time of difficulty. So in closing, growing in faith while living in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation, Elijah stood up when the entire land, the king was the most perverse king ever. Jezebel was his wife. They were worshiping false gods and he stood up and made a stand for the truth. Be willing to make a stand, as it says in verse 2. He spoke the truth with boldness, even in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation. By obeying God's word, even in the midst of great trials and persecution, when God told him to do the impossible, he went. When he sent him out to a place and told him that ravens would bring him food, he trusted the Lord. By trusting God's promises and going wherever he leads, he sends him into the land of the enemy. He sends him into Jezebel's hometown. He sends him to a place where they have less food than where he is. And he tells him that a widow's gonna provide for him. And guess what? God was preparing the heart of that widow while she was preparing the heart of Elijah. And now we know because of her profession here at the end of the chapter, that we're going to see her in heaven. Praise God for that. And then finally, by putting your faith in action, guys, it's not enough to say that we believe. We need to live it out loud for the Lord and be unashamed of the gospel. Can I get an amen to that? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. And Lord, help us to grow in our faith. Help us, Lord, in the midst of trials and difficulty to recognize that you're a faithful God. I pray for those in this room right now that may be going through great difficulty and great trials. Lord, bless them, comfort them, strengthen them, O oh Lord. I pray that they will continue to run to you and not run from you. I pray that in the midst of their trial that you would be glorified, that you would minister to their hearts. And Lord, we thank you that you're a faithful God. You're in control. You've triumphed over sin and death. Lord, it's all in your hands. We can trust you The worst thing the world can do to us is the best thing that could happen to us. We'd be in your presence forevermore. So Lord, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Use us for your kingdom and for your glory. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said...